0: Worth Repeating is made possible by the 8020 Foundation, the City of San Antonio Department of Arts and Culture, Do210.com, Real Ale Brewing Company, and Texas A&M University in San Antonio.
1: Welcome to the Worth Repeating Podcast. This is the second part of our live storytelling event recorded at Texas Public Radio Headquarters, in the Malou and Carlos Alvarez Theater and Studio. In this episode, we bring you the last three stories about covering for a friend and uncovering truths. Warning, this story contains themes of self-harm and suicide. If you or a loved one are struggling with suicidal thoughts or a mental health crisis, please call or text the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 988. Our first storyteller is Sarah Hagee. Sarah shares a story about the secrets we keep in order to protect those we love.
2: So this is a story about how covering the truth can sometimes come from a place of love or even deep sacrifice. So about six years ago now, Um, I was preparing to take the biggest exam of my career and maybe even life. And, uh, I had undergone years of training for it and kind of prepped my family and friends by saying, Hey, you know, I'm going to go off the grid for a few months before this exam. I may not be available to you as I normally should be or am. And, uh, I just want you to know that. And, uh, they were very supportive of it and, uh, I appreciated that. But, um, so I, I, I used the time and, and studied about up to 18 hours a day for this exam. And the, the day came and came, and um, the exam was horrible, as I thought it would be. It was eight hours of pure hell and torture. And uh, at the end of it, I, I called my support system. I called my sister first, and, and I said, hey, I, I, I just finished. And she was like, great, congratulations, I'm so proud of you. Um, and then I called my best friend next, and uh, she said the same thing, but she sounded a little off, too. She was like, "Have you called your or have you talked to your family yet? have you called your parents?" And I was like, "No. uh, they're next on my list though, so I'll call them next." And she's like, "Okay, good." And so I called my mom next, and uh, I, and she was like, "I need a conference. Uh, there's something I, I'm really proud of you, but there's something that we need to tell you, and I need a conference in your dad to this phone call." And, uh, if you have geriatric parents like myself and they try and use technology to do any type of, of event like this, uh, you know that there's going to be an issue. So, um, I, needless to say, I, uh, had to attempt to do this three-way call myself, but, uh, and, and called my, or conference my dad into this phone call, but he wasn't able to answer. And by the time all this happened, I got super frustrated and I was like, mom, just out with it. What is going on? Just tell me. And, um, and so she said, as I'm driving back home after this eight-hour-long exam, she said, it, "It, it's your brother. He's dead. He died three days ago. And uh, we didn't tell you because we knew that you had this this exam that you could only take once a year, and uh, and so we kept it from you. And in uh, the the age of social social media, you you know that it's really really hard to keep a death a secret." Uh, especially if it's a, uh, a a young person that is as fu- fully networked in, and uh, but they kept it from from me because they they knew that this exam was only offered once a year, and they wanted me to succeed at it. And um, so, I I respected that and I appreciated that, but I was I was in total shock, and this was. Uh, sort of compounded by the fact that the very next day, I had to literally move across the country from the East Coast to the West Coast for, for work. And um, uh, horrendously convenient was the fact that my family is from Minnesota, in directly in the middle between the East and West Coast. And, and so I was able to Um, have a nice little layover for the wake and funeral before moving to another um, establishment. So, but um, I was like, I I was still in shock. And I was like, what, how, how did this happen? How, like, how did he die? What, what is going on? And they were like, we don't know. The autopsy won't come back for, for quite a while. Um, All we know is that we found him. Uh, in his room with, uh, half a box of Franzia wine. And we think maybe he just, he just drunk himself to death, which I, interestingly enough had happened to my mother's brother as well. And, um, I was like, ah, geez, that's, that's insane. And I, I, I really had difficulty processing it, but, um, but I had to, pack up my entire life and move across the country and stop for this wake and funeral and, and just keep going. So I made it to, uh, I made it to the Midwest and I was like, there's just, there's gotta be something more. And, and there was something more. Um, yeah. yeah. In addition to not telling me that he had died, uh, three days prior to my, um, my, my exam, uh, he had also tried to kill himself twice in the preceding months, but my, my family knew that I was trying as hard as I could for this exam and they wanted to they wanted me to focus. and so they didn't they didn't tell me this information. they, they covered it in order to help me succeed at this huge, huge career move. Um, and so I was like, well, there's there's got to be something more so, I, uh, I, I got a hold of his, his smartphone and went through his search history, which if you go through the search history of a 25-year-old male, that's very brave, right? Uh, but uh, so nonetheless, um, I, I went through this, this search history, and I did find that the uh, night before he was, he was found dead, he had actually Googled how to commit suicide. It was uh, actually the second to the last thing that he Googled. The very last thing that he Googled was uh, a string of uh, unintelligible consonants, which roughly equated to skr- br- 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 which was gibberish that I found darkly hilarious because he was likely in the in the in the throes of death at that time. But um, you know, famous last words, eh, not so much. But um, <laughs> nonetheless, uh, it, th- that's that's what I found. But. Uh, I kept this information for myself. I, I, I covered this uh, this information because um, my my family was in the mindset where my dad thought, you know, ignorance was bliss. he was he was happy to think that uh, my brother had maybe accidentally drank himself to death. and my mother is a devout Catholic and she, if he thought he, he had done this on purpose, she would probably think he would spend eternity in purgatory or something like that. And uh, so I thought if I, if I covered this up and if I kept it to myself, then, you know, maybe I could, you know, protect their peace in in that sense. And so I did, and I was able to c- keep this covered for more than a year. Uh, but uh, what I didn't know is that uh, my mother had been awaiting some toxicology results, uh, from the autopsy and, and about uh, a year later um, she had uh, received them and, and called me from my new home on the, on the west coast and said, hey, uh, these toxicology results came back and it turns out that uh, your brother had toxic levels of diphenhydramine or Benadryl in his system when he died, so he, he likely um, o- overdosed on Benadryl uh, on purpose. And um, uh, I, I wasn't shocked at all because I already knew, I already knew, uh, but, but she was understandably devastated. But I told her, I told her, I'm you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Mom, but I, I, already, I already knew, I suspected. And she was like, okay, that's, that's okay, I understand. And um, she understood because she did a similar thing to protect me and then I did a similar thing to protect her and my family. And we both had this type of mutual respect, which was covering the truth, but out of a place of of love.
1: That's all I got, thanks. Our next storyteller is Tommy Gonzalez. Tommy shares a story about uncovering a truth he probably knew all along.
0: The very first time that I heard, that little voice inside me you know the one i'm talking about the one that like the one that calls you out on your bullshit yeah. <laughs> the very first time that i heard that voice was 10 years ago a little over 10 years ago uh in oslo norway i had recently left a career in television and television is all i had ever done since i was like 16 years old um, I found myself <clears throat> starting, uh, leaving television and starting a record label, which was a dream for me, something that I'd always wanted to do. And I found myself in Oslo, Norway, working with a band from there. And uh, the first release we put out, the band's making their debut. It's a big music festival weekend in Oslo. Uh, I didn't realize it, but that weekend... In Norway, they have their version of USA Today newspaper. It's called Dagbladet. And uh, in the culture, arts, music section covering the festival, there was a picture of me <clears throat> that I didn't know about. And there was a headline written in Norwegian that was later translated for me that said, the American who could hear the sound of Norway. And oh, so cringe. <laughs> so cringe. <clears throat> But whatever, we were there to party, and we're gonna go with it, right? <clears throat> I'm an American in, in, in the Nordic, so I'm, I'm embracing this. And everybody's super nice to me. I'm, I'm super exotic there. <laughs> so <clears throat> we, uh, the music festival is full of like PR stuff. We gotta make, we gotta make radio appearances and, and magazine appearances and interviews and all kinds of stuff. It's a lot of work and you gotta stick to a tight schedule. So one of the things we had to do was we ended up at the NRK which is uh, Norway's national radio and the band I'm working with is doing a uh, is doing an appearance on the show now remember this is festival weekend so there's a lot of hoopla going on there's a lot of a lot of vibes and uh, and don't forget I'm the American who can hear the sound of Norway <clears throat> so we go into the studio and I'm I'm there and everybody's very very nice to me and and, and speaking English to me and uh, and I'm learning to Tak and vashagu and taktak and hi hi and I'm learning all these little nordic pleasantries that that they're that they're famous for but when the on air light comes on it was a hurricane of norwegian that I didn't understand anymore and uh, I kind of just sat back in the studio and took it all in. But at the end of the of the radio show, one of the things that I, I didn't really pick up on, but kind of started to gather, was this band that I'm working with had to do a had to do a cover song of one of the songs that's currently charting on the top forty charts. For me, I, I'm a born and bred punk. I'm. I'm Anti-authority, I'm a, I'm a jerk. <clears throat> so I, I really want nothing to do with that. But it's not my band, technically. Uh, it's my band financially. <clears throat> so we, they they do the cover. And while it's happening, that little voice inside me speaks up. And it says, damn it, dude, this, <laughs> this is lame. This is not what you wanted. This is not what we set out to do. This is not what we spent all this money for. This is not what we came out here to do. But I was being gracious. And these boys were popular. They'd been in other bands. They'd, they'd been through the machinations. So I said, let's just go, right? We're here to party. Let's just keep the party going. And the party kept going for three years. And I did get to do a lot of cool stuff. We shot music videos all over the Nordics shot music videos in Germany, we went to Haiti twice, went to Iceland for a week, and almost had the National Guard called on me. And <clears throat> everything was really cool, and we were, we were still partying, and I was still living my dream, and everything felt really good. And then three years later, I'm at a meeting with Spotify, in this big digital, digital music meeting summit, it's taking place in a very, very posh hotel on the east side of Berlin. And I walk in, and there's a gorgeous spread and really, really cool little sandwiches with cucumbers that are delicious. But they've also got, like, this never-ending supply of gin and tonics that started at, like, one in the afternoon. Gin uh, and I broke up a long time ago, <clears throat> but, but we reacquainted ourselves that day, uh, regrettably. Or fortunately, whatever you want to look at it. Anyway, I got, I got pretty tanked. <clears throat> and through the meeting, I'm listening to, to their dog and pony show and their presentation. And I used to sell media. I used to sell television. I've worked with Nielsen. I've worked with SoundScan. I can make a number one story out of anything. But I'm listening to this, and they're telling us how to monetize new artists and all these new features that are going to come out. Now, this is about six years ago. And... <clears throat> that little voice inside me speaks up again. And it says the same thing. Oye, vato, this is not what we set out to do. <laughs> and this time, instead of shh, instead of saying calmate, on air, lights on. I said, you know what, you're right. You're absolutely right. I don't want anything to do with this anymore. So I packed up my stuff and I walked out of the meeting and all my friends and peers that I had been working for the past three years with, We'd done music videos, we'd done PR, we'd taken over other territories together. They're looking at me like, where are you going? And I give them the sign like, go go catch me at the spot that we always hang out at afterwards, right? I'm going to go finish drinking. So I walk out of the meeting and I go to my favorite beer garden and I sit down. And I let out this huge sigh of relief. But at that same moment, that little voice spoke up again and said, now what?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you were so focused on being a jerk and so focused on being anti-authority, you didn't think about what the next step was. And by this time, I'd learned to listen to that little voice a little closer. So I said, "You're again, I was like, you're right. What's next? So... We sat there for another minute, <clears throat> and I started thinking. You know, I really, I really, what was my, what was my reason for exiting the music business? And really, the reason for me exiting the music business was digital music. Uh, I found no joy in it anymore. I found no excitement in it anymore. I didn't have that cool feeling of releasing a record anymore when it comes out digitally. There's nothing tangible about it. <clears throat> So I I deduced that I really hated digital music. And what I wanted to do was figure out something that you couldn't download, something that you couldn't go online, click a button, convert, and have delivered to your house that afternoon. And all I could think about was a haircut. (laughs) I've been cutting hair for six years now. I own two barber shops in downtown, and that little voice and I talk every day.
1: Thank you. Our final storyteller is Will Mosley. Will shares a story about the boredom and the trouble that come with idle hands and how you should always assume someone's watching.
3: I don't know what your experience with the military is. It's nothing like what you think. See, about 15, 16 years ago, I was in my late teens, early 20s, and lost two basketball scholarships. And my family was like, You need some direction. You need some structure. So you should join the military. And I was like, It's a good idea. I'm going to do that. It's not what I said. Um, <laughs> I was like, that sounds terrible, I'm not doing that. It's too much structure. I don't want that, people are gonna yell at you. I got drugged to a recruiter's office, ended up in basic training. I got yelled at a lot. Um, (laughs) I thought the entire military was gonna be like that. I thought you get out of training, you go to your base, you get yelled at all the time and uh it's not all that respect you guys have for soldiers and military service members stop that <laughs> don't do it i don't know if you ever noticed but when you tell a soldier or a service member thank you for your service they're like ugh because uh if you really knew what we did behind that gate you wouldn't trust us <laughs> so i get to my first base And uh, I'm expecting to get yelled at. I'm expecting somebody to show up. Because when you get to basic training, the first thing that happens to you is when you get off the bus, there's a mean man yelling at you. And I was like, that's going to happen again. And it didn't. They gave me my own room. I was getting paid regularly. Like, you're in barracks and it's like college dorms, but you have money. (laughs) So You can only imagine the types of debauchery that take place in that type of scenario. A bunch of other screw ups like myself, all put under one roof with money and a liquor store. (laughs) I maxed out my first credit card on liquor. That's what it's like. Like, so usually when you tell a service member, Thank you for your service, and they look, Very tired and annoyed is because they're hungover. (laughs) In my first three months, one of my friends, good friend of mine, one of my best friends, um, we're going to change his name for this story, just in case. Um, We're going to call him Troy. That's his real name. Um... (laughs) We were all hanging out in the common area in the barracks. There's like a common area for uh, all the people that spend all their money on liquor that can't afford TVs. They put one in the area for all of us. (laughs) And uh, we're hanging out in there. You know, there's pool tables, vending machines, TVs, all kind of stuff like that. And, uh, you know, in in your early 20s, late teens, you know, you are experiencing life. You got a little money now. You know, girls like you. So you try to have as many as you can. And he had a few. Um, one of them was a cop on post and, um, she was also a thief. Um, she stole a cell phone and in a drunken rage, because we were never sober, um, he took a pool ball and threw it through a vending machine. I was like, fuck. So I was like, dog, we got to get out of here. So... Me being the uh, only stable, sober or drunk person, (laughs) I escorted him back to his barracks because we were at my freaking barracks when he threw the ball through the vending machine. On our way out, um, he sees a classic Ducati and then he kicks it over. (laughs) Yeah, it was my roommates. My roommate asked me about it the next day and he was like, man, did you know what happened on my bike? I was like, nah, (laughs) you know, like a liar. Um, (laughs) I get Troy back to his room, make it through the weekend. Monday rolls around. I'm like, Oh man, they didn't say anything. We're good. Tuesday, 10 o'clock. I'm already through the morning, you know, already, you know, starting my work for the day. Next thing I know, I'm getting called to my first sergeant's office. And if you've been in the military, your first sergeant, um, that is the highest ranking enlisted person in your unit. And me very far from the highest ranking enlisted person in my unit has to go stand in front of him and figure out why I've been summoned to his room. (sighs) He's asking me about the pool ball and he's like, I already know everything that happened. I just want you to tell me what happened. I was like, I'm not telling you what happened to this fucking cameras, dog. Like, <laughs> he's like, you swore an oath. You need to hold on to your oath and uphold your oath and tell us what happened. I'm like, I'm not about to betray my friend. That's crazy. Like, if my friend, if I need $15, my friend will give me $15. The army will tell me to wait till the first of the 15th. <laughs> if I need liquor, I go to my friend's room, steal his liquor. The army makes me pay for my own liquor. You see, you understand what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) friends over everything. Um, So he proceeds to uh, lecture me for a good 15, 20 minutes, trying to get me to tell him what happened. I'm like, nah, fam, I'm a thug. I'm from these streets, I don't snitch. (laughs) And he was like, well, the only thing that matters to soldiers is their time and their money. So they took both. I could afford less liquor. (laughs) But my friends had it, so I was good. Um, (laughs) So so when I tell you, if you want to send your kids to the military... Don't do that. (laughs) You will have spent 18 years molding this person into who you want them to be, just to send them off to become an alcoholic. (laughs) (laughs) So that's where we are. I've never told this story before, and this is gonna be the first time that Troy and my roommate have heard this. I don't think uh, everything will be the same ever again. So, (laughs) I just, uh, yeah, that's it.
1: (laughs) That's it for the Worth Repeating podcast. Worth Repeating returns on April 11th, and it's the last one of the season. The theme is Como? Seven storytellers will share their most confusing moments, language barriers, and other stories of things that get lost in translation. You can get ticketing information by visiting tpr.org wr or consider becoming a volunteer storyboard member. Writing coaches, show producing, got what it takes? Visit tpr.org wr. Worth Repeating is made possible by the 8020 Foundation. City of San Antonio Department of Arts and Culture, Do210.com, Real Ale Brewing Company, and Texas A&M University at San Antonio. Worth repeating is a production of Texas Public Radio. I'm Tori Poole. Thanks for listening.